0: I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Hereditary angioedema is a rare genetic disease that causes episodes of severe swelling. The swelling can occur in the limbs, face, intestinal tract, and elsewhere. Sometimes it can be life threatening if the swelling obstructs breathing. Though there are limited therapeutic options available, a class of drugs known as RNA interference is offering hope. We spoke to Mark Rydell, professor of medicine and clinical director of the US HAEA Angiodema Center at the University of California, San Diego, about hereditary angiodema how RNA interference therapies work, and why this may be an area of promise for this and other rare diseases. Mark, thanks for joining us.
1: Great. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about hereditary angioedema, your work at the USHAEA Angioedema Center at UC San Diego, and what promises... A class of therapeutics known as RNA interference may hold as a treatment for this. Let's start with hereditary angioedema. What is it? How rare is it? How does it manifest itself? And what's the prognosis for someone who has it?
1: Sure. So, hereditary angioedema, or HAE for short, is indeed a rare condition. It's, uh, caused by a protein deficiency so there's a protein in the body called c1 esterase inhibitor and in people who uh, suffer from this condition they're actually missing this protein or have a dysfunctional protein and that's due like a lot of rare conditions due to a mutation in a gene that produces this protein and so the consequence of missing that protein is that these individuals have swelling attacks, um, angioedema episodes. And those swelling attacks can attack uh, can affect the skin, really anywhere on the skin, but commonly the face, the hands, the feet. Um, it can uh, occur in the intestinal tract, so people get very severe abdominal pain, uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. Um, and then lastly, we see angioedema in the airway, in the throat, and then that leads to Difficulty breathing and can in fact be fatal unfortunately in, in some cases So these episodes of swelling these angioedema episodes happen um, Anywhere from once a week to maybe once a year it depends on the person. Um, there's a lot of variability and when these attacks hit they uh, they actually can last for up to five days six days at a time unless uh, an effective treatment is given so it's one of these conditions that in between people live totally normal, but during the attacks, it's incredibly disabling um, and, in fact, life-threatening. There are fatalities from this condition if the swelling hits the throat. Um, and so that's uh, that's one of, of course, many rare conditions that there's been a lot of scientific work um, lately, and then some development of some new treatments coming down the pipeline. It
0: it seems to act like an an autoimmune disease where there are periods of flares. Is is this an autoimmune condition?
1: Um, Technically, no, because this is um, not so much the immune system turning on the body itself, but really it's a a defect, a missing protein. So it's, it's more of a deficiency. In fact, uh, I guess one could call it an immunodeficiency because the C1 esterase inhibitor is is a part of the immune system. Um, So not so much autoimmune as a a protein deficiency condition.
0: Are there any specific treatments for the disease available today? So
1: there are. um, And in fact, um, things have changed pretty rapidly for the better. Um, There was very little in the United States uh, treatment wise for HAE up until about 2008, 2009. Um, prior to that, really, people just they went to the hospital if their throat was swelling, they took pain medicine if their abdomen was swelling, and they had these, you know, day or week long attacks that would really um, be, you know, very disabling. People had trouble keeping jobs and so forth. Um, around 2008, 2009, there was a, uh, a new drug approval of a C1 inhibitor protein replacement product, which is a blood-derived product, a plasma product that replaces this protein um, and has been used since that time effectively to either uh, prevent these attacks from happening or sometimes treating the attacks when they happen. Um, That's an IV uh, medication, so it's not the most convenient to use, and you have to have IV access to give it. A couple other drugs have have come out since then to treat attacks, and and these are targeted at the the biochemical pathway. So it turns out that the reason people with C1 inhibitor protein deficiency swell is because they end up making too much of a molecule called bradykinin. And bradykinin causes leakiness of the blood vessels so that you get this uh, vascular leak and the swelling. So there's there's two additional drugs that are now available by prescription that, that target the um, this bradykinin pathway, either by shutting off the production, hitting a molecule called calocrine, um, or by blocking a bradykinin receptor, um, which, which stops the leakiness that's caused by excessive bradykinin production. And those are both synthetic drugs. They're given by sub Q injection. Um, and then finally, there's been a couple additional C1 inhibitor products. Uh, another plasma product, um, has come to the market and then a recombinant protein product, which is made in animals, but is in fact uh, analogous to the, the C1 inhibitor, the human, the human protein. So the, the point is we have, we have actually several options now in the last, uh, seven or eight years that have come to bear. Um, but we also still have difficulties in, in getting access to those drugs, and are frankly still looking for an easier and um a way to prevent these attacks from happening
0: How well understood is the underlying mechanism of the disease and, and what causes a flare?
1: Well, we think we have this this pathway the caliloccri bradykinin pathway um uh we think it's pretty solid that that's the reason that they're swelling because the C1 inhibitor, um, deficiency leads to dysregulation of that pathway. And there's been some pretty compelling animal and now uh, human studies showing that the bradykinin is the, the bad player here, that too much of it causes these attacks. You can actually measure levels locally in tissues, um, that, that swell. So, so that part of it is, it seems to be fairly solid. What, what's not well understood is, What starts these attacks? Why do they come on suddenly and unexpectedly in many cases? What stops the attacks? Why do they eventually burn out after, you know, three, four, five, six days? Um, And then the other big uh, mystery right now is the variability. So um, as an example, in families where you have the exact same genetic mutation in multiple family members, because this is an autosomal dominant condition, it's passed down from generation to generation, um, identical DNA but you'll see tremendous variability in the phenotype or the expression of, of the condition such that you might have one family member that has an attack every week and you might have the a, a sibling or a parent that has an attack once a year and so we, we have a very poor handle on the variability why is it that the condition expresses itself so differently in different individuals so we we think we understand the basics, but there's a a lot of additional scientific work that needs to be done to really understanding the details of the pathophysiology.
0: Oh, one area of promise seems to be RNA interference, but perhaps you can start with RNA for listeners who aren't well-versed in biology. What is the function of RNA?
1: So uh, RNA, RNA is sort of the, the message of the sequence of DNA. And so... Um, when you have a um, when you have a gene and you need to take that gene and translate it into protein uh, which is you know of course the building blocks of our bodies and the functions in the bodies you have something called RNA that that's uh, basically a code from that DNA um, and, and is the message if you will that leads to proteins being built in tissues and all the, the regulatory functions of the body so so this RNA turns out to be a very important molecule um, as a messenger to translate our, our genome, our genetics, into the, the you know the building blocks of proteins and tissues and so forth.
0: Well, the notion of RNA interference has been around for some time. There have been a number of drug companies specializing in this area. How do RNAi therapies work? What exactly do they do?
1: yeah, so the concept here is that if you can interrupt that um, translation, if you will, if you can stop the message from coming from the DNA and going into the, the building of proteins, that you can actually affect disease processes. and and so the the idea here is that if you can um, design a drug or a molecule that will actually interfere with that messaging, with that coding, if you will, from DNA to protein, you can you can actually influence the course of a condition. You can improve a disease. Um, and so, as as you've said, there are a number of uh, avenues or conditions this has been looked at. I'm, of course, most familiar with, with the field of hereditary angioedema. But it's sort of this knockdown idea, sometimes called knockdown therapy, that, that we can stop a protein from being expressed, from being translated, and therefore actually improve um, some conditions.
0: In the case of hereditary angioedema, are you upregulating the C1 protein?
1: No. Interestingly, we're actually knocking down some of the other proteins that cause problems. So, um, a reference back to, I mentioned before, the calocrine bradykinin cascade. So, so one strategy is that if you can stop calocrine from being expressed or being active, you can actually shut off the faucet of bradykinin production, which, as I mentioned, is is what causes the leakiness and the attacks of angioedema. So, so there are a couple of targets that are being explored in hereditary angioedema, but one of the prime ones is this molecule, calicrine. And, um, if a, if a molecule could be designed to stop the expression or the building of calicrine protein, um, at least in theory, and this has been borne out in some animal models now, you can stop radiokinin production and then uh, ideally stops these angioedema attacks from happening, so so calocrine um, knockdown or um, interfering RNA therapy that targets calocrine is one, um, one idea being explored, again, the hope that you could basically prevent these attacks from happening at all if you shut off calocrine expression and production.
0: Well, where are we in the clinic in terms of developing these therapies?
1: So, for the most part, these are, um, these sorts of targets or are, 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 are treatments are in preclinical um, development, which means there's been animal work showing that the concept seems to work, at least in laboratory animals. Um, and so, there are uh, designs being put together now um, to move this into humans, but we haven't um, seen any human data um, yet with regard to. Um, uh, RNA therapy in hereditary angioedema.
0: And is the expectation that they'd be used to prevent flares or could they also be used to treat flares as well?
1: Yeah, probably prevention. I mean um, most of the data suggests that uh, it, it will take a little bit of time for these molecules to do their work um, such that you wouldn't expect to see um, results within hours. It's probably more along days um, where you start to see is um, the protein expression being knocked down. So these are ideally probably going to be uh, more effective as preventative therapy rather than treating an attack when it happens where you need a treatment to really work within minutes to hours to be particularly helpful.
0: While RNAi has been a, a promising area of therapeutic pursuit, there have been challenges, particularly with both the, the half-life of these drugs and targeting them, getting them to the parts of the body where they're needed. Is there any sense that this is a, an obstacle to getting a, a treatment for a hereditary angiodema?
1: Well, um, the main thing I can say is that so far the, the animal models look um, promising. Um, a, again, you never know until you put it into humans. So there's a lot of promising work done in animals that never translates, of course, to being useful in um, in treating humans. but. But so far, um, they have been able to overcome these sorts of obstacles, and it looks like um, there should be ways to accomplish this protein knockdown with a, um, a, you know, re- a reasonable number of sub 2 injections. Um, and, and so, so far, um, again, promising, but we'll have to see once it moves into human beings.
0: And do you think this has broader implications for other genetic diseases?
1: Yeah, I think the concept is is promising, of course. Um, you know, you can do this for calocrine. You can do this uh, for factor 12, which is another target in HAE. It's, it's further upstream, but, but there have been some um, animal studies showing you can target factor 12 and shut off the bradykinin cascade or faucet. But but outside of HAE, I mean, you can think of any number of, um, of conditions where, um, stopping the expression of a protein would actually lead to improvement um, um, in, in some pathology. So, uh, again, I don't, unfortunately, have expertise in many other fields outside of my own, but I know this has been broadly applied to, you know, to other fields, and there's work going on in, in other specialties with this same concept of uh, RNA interference or knockdown.
0: Mark Riddell, Professor of Medicine, Clinical Director of the US HAEA. Angiodema Center at the University of California, San Diego. Mark, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks. Appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about RNA interference therapies and hear from Mark Rydell, join Global Genes for its annual Rare Patient Advocacy Summit in Huntington Beach, California, starting September 22nd. For more information, go to globalgenes.org and select Patient Advocacy Summit under the Events tab.